Hello, everyone. Hello, mate. How are you? Not too bad. You, sir? Good, mate. Good, good. Good to see you. And you? Thanks for... Um, I don't even know what day we're on Tuesday. Thanks for spending your Tuesday afternoon behind the vinyl. No problem. Um, we just had a really nice chat with Luke, actually. Uh-huh. So... Um, I think we kind of we kind of build on that a little bit. Actually, we 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 keep running with that. I actually didn't know you guys were friends since you were eleven. Yeah, yeah, we met when we were eleven, which was what I don't know, sixty thousand years ago. <laughs> yeah, dinosaurs ruled the earth. <laughs> Did you meet in school, or or was it? Yeah, yeah. The first day of um, I suppose what you'd call high school, we were it's what we called secondary school. It was a um, what they call a selective school. Uh, it was he lived really close to the school, but I lived a long, long way away. And um, usually, you used to go to the school that was near where you lived. But because this was a selective school, um, my parents were told by my teacher that I was clever, stupid woman. <laughs> and she said that I should go to this particular. It's called a grammar school a selective school where you have to uh, pass an interview to get in. And um, I didn't want to go because obviously all my friends were going to the local school. So, uh, but my parents persuaded me, my father with a certain amount of, I think, threat of violence, basically (laughs) said, you have to go do this interview. What was very strange about it was that up until that point, I had really very, very long hair right down to my backside. Um, I'd had a bizarre um, experience probably three, four years previously uh, when a very blind old man shaved my head bald. (laughs) Basically, he used to do cheap haircuts for kids. uh, But he was blind and I came out and there were no hair at all. I looked like, like, you know, like I had a terminal illness. All right. And as a result... Um, I was traumatized by it so much so that every time my parents asked me to get a haircut, I used to run away and I wouldn't come home until it was dark and the pensioner was in bed. So, um, consequently, my hair was very long. I arrive at home one day and my father says, you've got an interview for this school. I'm just about to run out the door. He puts his foot against the door and says, you can't run away. Not today. You have to get your hair cut. I'm taking you to get a haircut because if you don't get a haircut, you won't get into school. If you don't get into school, you'll upset your mother. And if you upset your mother, I will hurt you. <laughs> so I had to go. And I came away with, you know, very short, very sensible hair. And then I went to the school for the interview. And we had to sit in a, in a hallway while we were waiting to go in to be tested. And sitting opposite me was Luke. Right. And he had not only the biggest head I'd ever seen, (laughs) it was covered in loads and loads of flaming red hair. Really long, like down here. Yeah. And of course, I sat there with my mother. He's sitting there with his mother opposite. And I'm looking at him. And my mother knows exactly what I'm thinking. (laughs) And I turned to my mother and she said under her breath, very quietly so that they couldn't hear, he won't get in. (laughs) And uh, and I said to her very quietly under my breath, if he does, I'll never speak to you again. (laughs) And that was basically the first day. We didn't actually meet as such to say hello, but that was the first day I clapped eyes on him because it was such a traumatic experience for me. I never forgot it. Yeah. Wow. He told me I got into the school. My mission on day one was to find him, the kid with all the hair and a huge head. And he was there. And basically, that was it. That was the beginning of our uh, friendship. We were 11 years old. Oh, that's the best story. <laughs> that's, the Love that's exactly it. what happened. It was four <laughs> years later that we got in our first band together. He was already in a band. And uh, I told you, he lived near the school. Yep. And uh, one lunchtime... We went to his house and he um, he and all the other smokers sat there, you know, in his living room, smoking themselves to death, trying to bring on their early demises. 
and I didn't smoke. I wasn't interested in smoking. So I, to get away from the smell, I went and sat in his bedroom where there was a drum kit. Right. It was a very bright, shiny, probably, you know, less than a pound a week for the rest of your life in one of those kind of mail order catalogs, you know? Yeah. And I, uh, but I was completely amazed by the thing. I think the fact that it was so bright and shiny with the chrome, it's almost like I could hear like angelic voices going off. You know, it was like, oh, you know, it was just ridiculous. And I would just became obsessed with it. I, I didn't concentrate on anything for the rest of the day at, at school. Couldn't think about anything else when I went home. Didn't sleep. Sat up all night just thinking, how do I get near one of them? Because I didn't have any money. I didn't. I couldn't play an instrument. And in the end, I came to the conclusion that, that the simplest thing to do was to become a singer. Because you don't need any money to be a singer, do you? It's cheap. Right. Yeah. And that was it. And I just told him the next day I was a singer in school. Luke told me to fuck off. And eventually I convinced him that I had a microphone, which was a lie, but my uncle had a microphone, so I was able to borrow it. Yeah. He made me come to his house after school. He gave me records. This was on a Friday after school, and he gave me the records and said, learn all these and come back here on Sunday morning. I'll give you an audition. And if you're a singer, I will know. <laughs> and that was it. And then, then I went back on a Sunday and I did the audition, and we've been in the band together ever since. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it's, it's all true. Absolutely true, yeah. We're going to walk the hardest yard. we got to educate. we got to pass it on. we got to stand up straight. we got to stand up strong. Yeah. And angry beast from the underground. When you see you got to shoot it.
Just to go off on that a little bit, so so Luke is basically responsible for getting you into music as well. He obviously had a guitar and a drum kit, you know, before you got into music. Oh yeah, no, he had, we, we were all uh, very like-minded. We loved records. We used yep. to go to the record shops. We used to buy records. We used to swap records and tape each other's records like all those people did in those days. Yeah. Um, so it really was a very big part of our lives, but um, I had no um, inclination to be in a band. It was only when I saw the drum kit, I knew he. I was aware that he was in a band, but once yeah. again, it didn't really interest me very much. I, and you know, it just meant like it was a lot of extra work, and I didn't really want to do anything. I just wanted to play football, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. Yeah, it was only when I saw the drum kit that I decided I needed to be near it. It was almost like a, it changed my life completely, you know. Wow. And I knew he was in a band and I decided because if if his band had a drum kit, they must be serious. Right. And he felt exactly the same thing when I told him I had a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, because obviously I lied. He didn't know I was lying. Yeah. And it was only really... Um, once, once I'd got into the band, we had a period of about two or three weeks where every day I would go to school, but I couldn't tell anyone I was in a band because they already had a singer in Luke's band and Luke was too frightened to tell him that he wasn't the singer anymore because he was <laughs> bigger than Luke and he was, I think he was afraid he was going to hit him. <laughs> so after three weeks of growing frustration, I eventually said to Luke, if you don't tell him, I will because I'm just busting, you know, I need to tell everyone I'm a singer. Yeah. And um, so in the end, Luke being the consummate politician that he is, he, um, he explained to him that he couldn't be the singer anymore, but if he bought a bass, he would show him how to become the bass player. <laughs> <laughs> so he still stayed in the band and he was in the band. He was our bass player for a good few years and then we fired him and then he came back later on and we fired him again. And then when we started Thunder, he was our manager for about five years. Oh, really? Fired him again. Yeah. The guy just loves punishment. Yeah, it was very strange. Very strange. But yeah, but that was basically it. Yeah. And then we started doing gigs when we were kids. And, you know, as soon as I could get a, a driving license, I got a job driving a van so that we could do gigs of a night time. And mm -hmm. that was it. But we've been in the band together ever since. I mean, and, you know, we've sort of, We've kind of grown up together in music, you know, yeah. so it's very strange. I know his wife says it. She said it to me more than once. If I set you in separate rooms and asked you the same questions, I'm pretty sure you'd both give me the same answers. <laughs> I think it's because although we're very different as people, what we feel about music is pretty much evolved together. Yeah. Right, yeah. You know, what we think is good, what we think is bad, who's good, who isn't, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, we agree on almost all of that. Yeah. You're pretty, well, you're, you're pretty on, lucky I mean, there. You're pretty yeah. lucky that that's the case. You really are. You know, because there's... Incredibly lucky. Yeah, yeah. We've. I think because we're different people, I always say the same thing. He, Luke is incredibly um, politically astute. He also has a kind of a built-in problem with confrontation. Right. So he will probably run a hundred miles to avoid an argument. <laughs> I'm the complete opposite. I'll run a hundred miles to have an argument. <laughs> so, and I think because of that re reason, we dovetail very well. You know, if he knows there's an argument to be had, he'll let me have it. Yep. You know? Right. Um, but because we share so much <clears throat> of how we feel about stuff, he knows he's, he can leave that to me. Yep. And, and I feel the same way about the music. He was always really interested in the music how songs got written, how music was made, how records were recorded, how they were produced. He was completely obsessed with that. I was still interested in football. <laughs> so, you know, as long as I could show up and sing a song, you know, shout over the top, I was a happy chap. So, <laughs> so because he went down the, the, mu the musical route and I wasn't interested, I was happy to show up and sing whatever he gave me. Yeah, we right. don't, we don't stray into each other's territory. 
So I think that's where we're very lucky and we understand our roles and we're perfectly happy with them. Later on, when you, when you when you started singing, who were the uh, the singers that you looked to that you well in any way influenced you to sing and so on? Oh, um, the first the first one uh, was Paul Rogers, obviously. Right. Uh, I heard the Free Live album. Someone gave it to me at school, and I heard the Free Live album, and um, it it blew my mind. It, the fact that you know four young men can make a sound that that was like that uh playing live in front of an audience um and he had that that ability to sing with such kind of soul but also with all that all that kind of raw power as well that came with it the combination yeah. of the two for me that 
he just summed up how I felt about music. You know, what was right about music was there encapsulated in that live album. And that, for me, that was just, you know, if I'm going to see, it's going to be like that. That's how I'm going to do it. You know, I have because I feel like that. When I hear it, that's how I feel. And music for me has always been very emotional. I have to kind of, I have to be able to empathize with what I'm listening to. You know, yeah. whether it makes me want to, you know, jump up and down, fight someone, fuck, you know, dance, whatever it is, it has to make me feel that way. And um, so for me, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very kind of visceral thing. Um, and luckily for me, he writes those kinds of tunes. So it's not yeah. difficult for me. I just kind of, I listen to it and think, oh yeah, I know what he needs here. And then I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever met Paul Rogers? Yeah. We've worked with him a couple of times at festivals over the years, but we've never actually um, spoken as such, no. Right. Were you a fan of him when he was in Queen? Did you did you like that pairing? I I mean I could see why it would work on some levels, but I think you know you're on a real hiding to nothing. I think when you when you try to step into Freddie Mercury's shoes, and and he's yeah. he's the complete opposite of the right kind of singer. Yeah. Excuse me one second. I yep. just need to go and get my dog. He's crying. Go for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, obviously, and now he's having a nervous breakdown. I'm just going to get him and bring him in here. Shut up. <laughs> All right, come here. Come now, stupid dog. <laughs> just sitting downstairs by the front door crying his eyes out. <laughs> Silly Billy. He's only a puppy and he's um still struggling when my wife walks out the door. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. What what is he? What kind? Here he is. Here he is. Come here. Come here. Here he is. He's a cockapoo. Oh look at that. And he's a nut nutcase. There you are, look. Say hello. Wave. <laughs> Oh, wave. <laughs> well, that's a cutie. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a good boy, but he's a bit of a mummy's boy, I think. Right. It's so cute. Hey, are your um are your parents still alive? No, no, both <clears throat> dead. My dad died twenty years ago. He was uh, same age I am now, actually. Okay. Very wow. Strange. Very strange. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of. My, I think if I can make it to the end of January next year, I would have beaten him. Okay. That's, that's my plan. <laughs> good, good, good plan to be on. Get but, to the but, end of January and everything will be better, you know? Yeah. Weirdly, my grandfather, his father also died at the same age. So, you know, I'm, you know, never really been working on the assumption I've got a lot of time left. Wow. Yeah. wow. Well, you, look at, you, you look really good. So uh, I'm guessing that you're going to, you know, you're going to break that little, uh, well, you know, I mean, I'm slightly ready to face. I suspect I'm probably, you know, edging towards a heart attack. But as long as I get past January, I'll be all right. Good. Be fine. Yeah. What, 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 did your, uh, what did your parents think of, you know, when, when you finally became a singer and when, when Thunder became a real band and all that? Uh, I, I don't think they really had any kind of understanding of what it was. I'll be honest with you. I mean, my, my dad was in, a, it was in a band for about five minutes with his two brothers. Okay. Wow. The one who had the microphone lent me the microphone. He would he played guitar in that band uh, with his other brother, also played guitar. My dad was the singer in that band for God, must have been six or seven minutes, I think. Right. Before he, uh, before he decided he wasn't a team player. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, I've got a photograph actually. I've got one photograph of them rehearsing in a in a in a in a in a back room in a pub. You know, right. when when they were very young and very thin. And uh, I never saw them. Obviously, I was too young. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, my dad never took any any notice at all of any of it. My mother, she was um, always enthusiastic, super enthusiastic. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I could have farted in the bottle and my mother would have loved it. I mean, she just, just you know, super supportive, very typical earth mother, you know. Yeah. Or I've got three siblings and, you know, it was the same for all of us. I mean, she didn't care what it was. It was always brilliant, you know, whatever yeah. we did. <laughs> hammer, you know, pieces of crooked wood together with nails and bring it in and my mother would say, oh, you've been creating. Fantastic. You know, just <laughs> awful. Put shelves up on the wall like this, you know. I'm like, wow, what a job. You know, she was just, <laughs> just thought everything you did was amazing. Yeah, so, um, but my dad never took any notice at all until 
we became famous and I told him we were playing Hammersmith Apollo or Odeon what? as it was then. Yeah. We had a load of page three girls on the, uh, on the guest list and my dad suddenly decided he wanted to come to the gig. <laughs> and he came to the gig and this is no word of a lie talk about embarrassing father he came to the gig and in the after show he got right in the middle of all of the page three girls all in, so he had them all around him like this gaggle and he took off his sweatshirt and underneath it he had a t-shirt design that said I'm Danny's dad <laughs> what a scumbag yeah. <laughs> When you talk about him, like starting a school, and and um, you know, you jokingly say, you know, a little bit of violence if you didn't do the, uh, uh, if you didn't go to the interview. There, there were obviously was there a little bit of a, um, did you did you feel that you had to impress him, that you had to to uh, be successful for his approval? Um, possibly. Uh, um. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I grew up terrified of my father. He was very young when I was born. Um, as a result, he was very frustrated and I grew up resenting him and terrified in equal measure. It was only really um, when I had my own children that I had any kind of an understanding of what he must have gone through because yeah. he was like 18 when I was born and by the time he was right. 20, 25, he had like four kids. Wow. You know, he had no money, no prospects, you know, and yet he still had to find a way to deliver. And, um, yeah. you know, I was 32 when my first child was born and I was pretty much, you know, kind of set for life. I knew where I was going, yeah. I had income, you know. 
So it was a different prospect completely for me. <clears throat> so my, my attitude towards my dad changed quite a lot. I got a lot, got a lot of stuff from my father. He was, um, it was very, uh, as I got older, um, he instilled a work ethic in me. I think that was the thing that he did for me the best. And also confidence. He was incredibly good salesman, my father. He could sell anything to anyone. Wow. It didn't matter if you wanted to buy it or not, you would buy it. He was one of those sorts of people. He's very, very good at it. Um, very charming. Um, short-tempered. Short-fused. So, saw him get into so many scraps. It was unbelievable over the years. Yeah. It, and... Uh, but I think the, the biggest thing was, I mean, I was a kid. I wanted to go on a school trip and uh, you had to pay for it. And um, I asked my father if he would pay for it. And he said, I will pay for it, but only if you come to work for me every Saturday between now and then. And right. He had, he had uh, some shops and I had to go work in the shop. Yeah. And that was one of the biggest favors he ever did me because the moment I went into that shop, I saw my father do what he did best which was right. the selling and the running of a business. Mm. And, and I was instantly um, drawn to it. You know, yeah. I saw my father in a completely different way. And, um, and I got a hell of a lot out of that. Um, yeah. I mean, I use, and I use it even now. I mean, today, I mean, you know, I manage the band. I look after the money. I'm the one who shouts at the record label. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, I spring out of bed every day thinking, right, what am I going to do today? How am I going to make something happen? You know, yep. and that's and that's where I'm driven. Luke does the music stuff. I'm driven to, to sell it, you know. So I suppose I, I mean, I suppose I was driven to, to impress him. But to be honest, maybe not, you know. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm not, not sure. I'm not sure I really was. Because I didn't really need to impress him. You know, he wasn't really a massive part of my life. Although I got a lot of stuff from him. I left home when I was 17. And um, never, you know, I used to go to see my mother, visit my mother quite a lot. Never spent very much time with my father. Uh, because of all of the stuff that went on when I was a, little, a small kid, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so no, it's very, um, I'm, I'm kind of ambivalent about him. I mean, we, we got... He got closer as he got older. He got sick, he got cancer, and he died. And the last couple of years, we spent a lot of time together. Yeah. But, um, you know, I still talk to him every now and again. Nip down the garden, have a little chat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tell him stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but apart from that, I mean, my mother died, what, seven years ago. That was uh, that was odd. That was very, very strange because my, my mother, I, I worshipped my mother. Absolutely worshipped her. I mean, because she gave up so much. You know, my yeah. father was a selfish bastard. I mean, he just did what he wanted to do. As long as we were fed, he felt like he'd done his job, you know? Right. Yeah. Whereas whereas my mother, you know, she, she would do anything, sacrifice anything, you know, whatever you needed. Uh, so it did hit me much harder when my mother died. Although I was used to it because I'd been through it with my dad the first time. So, right. yeah, very strange. But, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't dwell on it. I, I, and to be honest with you, the idea of kind of, People dying or me dying, it's never really been a big deal for me. I just think, you know, you've got to make the most of the time you're here. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy it. You know? And when it's finished, just say, oh, well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I've got no regrets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. That's why I, I, I laugh. I, I, I honest, am very, very honest. My missus, she's always said to me, you know, from the moment I met her, I said, you know, you have to understand, you know, I'll do my best to look after you, but I won't be here that long. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and even now, I mean, I have those conversations with my kids regularly, regularly. Right. So every now and again, I'll say something, you know, they'll say something about, oh, we'll do this and we do that when you're old. And I say, I won't live like long enough to do that. You know, right. So you'll have to look after yeah. your mother when she's doing that, not me, because I won't be it. I'll be gone by. Right, her. right. Yeah. I'm not joking. It doesn't, no. not, my kids think I'm joking, but I'm not. Right. Yeah. Well, well, I've never had any kind of premonition or any kind of feel <clears throat> for living to get old. Right. I was right. run over by cars, including a double-decker bus, nine times when I was a kid. What? <laughs> nine separate occasions. Yeah. I fell off of buildings. I fell off a church. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've broken almost every bone in my body. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, it's a miracle I'm still here, really. That's yeah. I'm not worried about how long I last. <laughs> uh, how do you here, fall off a church? I ache like you wouldn't believe because of all my breakages. When it's raining, I don't need to know it's raining. I wake up and I'm aching like a bastard the moment I yeah. wake up. It's because the rain. How do you fall off a church? I was climbing up it, prove I could. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I was like a, I was like a uh, like a monkey when I was a kid. Right. I can't climb anything, and if you know, and if I saw something, and someone said, "I bet you can't climb that," I would. <laughs> and uh, I did it. I climbed. I climbed on bridges. Um, it's only really when I fell off the church that I thought maybe this is a bad idea. Right. I landed <laughs> on my back in sand, very soft sand, and. Um, I honestly, genuinely thought someone had pulled all my insides and pushed them out the back of my body. I right. couldn't wow. for about an hour. <laughs> wow. Luckily, I didn't hurt myself, apart from a lot of bruises and, you know, the, not being able to speak. Yeah, I couldn't. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really uh, do any, myself any damage. I've got some residual pain in my, at the bottom of my spine where it's all kind of, some of my vertebrae were worn away. So as I've got older, that's turned out a bit of a problem. Hang on. Dramas with my hips, dramas with my knee, but dramas with everything. I should play, innit?
Hey, um, just to, to swing it back onto the band, uh, you just said that you're you're managing, you're doing all this kind of stuff as well as being a vocalist. Um, how do you feel about that? Does do you, do you sometimes think that that clouds your creativeness and it gets in the road a little bit of uh, um, um, of you performing and all that? That the whole business aspect, or are you cool no, with? I don't, it? I don't think it ever really. I mean, to be honest with you, I've been far. I've always been far more interested in the business than I have been in in the creation of music. As I said earlier, yeah, Luke yeah. is the one. Luke is the one, and I and who who cares about the music very very deeply and very passionately. So I'm more than happy to let him deliver me the music for me to sing. Yep. And because we've been doing it for such a long time, I haven't sung every single song because he's written songs that he's performed with other people, but almost every song he has written, he's written with me in his head singing it. Right. <clears throat> so, and that goes the other way because every time he writes me a song, I know what he needs. Yep. So so we've kind of developed this sort of it's like a sixth sense really. We don't we don't have to talk about it. You know, he doesn't have to tell me what he needs, he just sends me the music and I sing it. Right. Yep. Um because I automatically know what he needs. So there's a lot so much of it is unspoken, you know. Um I'm drawn to the business. I'm drawn to the selling of music. I'm drawn to the big picture. I'm an interferer by nature. Right. I need to know that that everything that we've got going on is as good as it can be. And the only way I can guarantee that is if I interfere, which right. is why, right. you know, we've had a bunch of managers over the years and I fired them all <laughs> sooner or later. Including <laughs> your ex-bass player. Well, yeah. the first one, he never should have been in a band in the first place. He was self-destructive. You know, he right. had the wrong kind of personality. Yeah. You spend a lot of time cooped up when you're in a band. You know, yep. you, yeah. Your personality has to be conducive to being able to kind of get on with people for hours and hours and hours of boredom. Yep. Yeah. And then just explode for that two hours when you need to. Yep. Um, he wasn't suited to that. And I think he'd probably admit that now. Um, the second one, Michael... If we'd have had our way, he never would have left. Right, right. That was his choice. You know, he had stuff going on in his life, and um, and we respected his decision. But yeah. we were all heartbroken. I mean, yeah. Both he and Harry cried actually at the last gig he did. Wow. I called them homosexuals, of course. <laughs> but, but it was, you know, yeah. I mean, if we'd have had our way, he never would have left. You know, yeah. but right. you know, he did, and so you know, we got Chris who uh, took us down roads of darkness and deviancy I have never known. He's, uh, <laughs> he's a strange man. But he's a fantastic musician. He's also yeah. a brilliant asset because he does a hell of a lot of our design stuff, designs all our T-shirts. Right. Anything we need doing from a kind of a graphic point of view, I just say, what about this? And he will say, yeah, I'll do that. An hour later, he'll send it back to me. You know, he's... Wow. So he's a fantastic, um, fantastic asset for the band. Not only is he a brilliant brilliant musician yeah. um, but he's talented really talented at video editing and all kinds of stuff so for me he's an absolute gold mine you know? cool so uh, I'm really glad Mickey left actually <laughs> <laughs> not really well, Mickey if you're listening I'm sorry my friend one thing I mean the, the band's been around now for more than 30 years soon 35 years I mean not not counting the time now but is there a certain time period of the band that you look back on more fondly than others? I think you can probably, you can probably count Thunder in three phases. You got the first 10 years. Yeah. <clears throat> and I would say that of those first 10 years, the first five were just ridiculous. It yeah. was, it all happened so fast so big all over the world that we never really had a chance to understand what was going on. I mean, it, right. was, it was just nuts. Um, the next five years, not so much. Grunge had happened, became very difficult to compete, changed record companies a couple of times, changed managers. 
and the whole kind of rock business had, had kind of changed beyond all recognition at that point. So it was very difficult for a band like us because we, you know, 70s-based kind of classic rock type band, you know, people weren't writing about bands like us then. So that was very hard. That second five years was quite hard. Uh, so after 10 years, we finally decided, you know, because we're quite competitive as people. If we can't compete, then, you know, we don't just want to disappear in a kind of a a puff of kind of mediocre smoke. You know, we, we'd rather just not do it anymore if we can't compete. So that's why we stopped. It was only really two years later when the internet came and we realised we could communicate directly with our audience and we didn't need to worry about record companies and whether or not somebody wanted to write about us. Then suddenly we got all excited again and then I got very, very animated because I thought the idea, you know, thought the idea of running our own record company was a really attractive proposition. And I have yeah. to say it was for about seven or eight years. It really was. But it became a very difficult job because when you release one album on your own, it's easy. Mm. But by the time you've released four, five, six albums and you're doing merchandising and you're doing licensing deals and you're doing this and that all around the world, it's too much for one person to do well. Yeah. And, you know, I started to suffer mentally, which is why we stopped in 2009. We stopped then basically because I just thought if I don't, stop doing what I'm doing. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown or a heart attack or both. Right. And so I basically took it to the band and said, look, I've tried to find someone else to manage us. I can't find anyone else that I trust to do the job. Um, I can't continue to do what we're doing. I've talked to record labels and I think all the record companies that we could sign to, once again, I don't trust to do a good job. <clears throat> so I'm going to have to stop doing this. So, you know, we had a we had a very kind of full-on heart-to-heart discussion about it. They respected it. They did talk about maybe getting another singer at one point, but they get in the end, Luke Luke said he didn't want to do it, and so they um, we decided to stop it. So we stopped then, and it was prob. And then we did the odd show for every couple of years, so, and then we got back again, 2013, to do the Journey White Snake tour in the UK. Mm. that was a revelation there were so many people in the audience who, who knew our who knew our songs all wearing thunder t-shirts i mean we were opening on a three-band bill but it felt a little bit like we were the headliner right it was very curious you know we had a standing ovation after the first song one night and it went on for like two minutes i was convinced david covered i was looking through a curtain you know so going hi darlings how are you you know I was convinced, <laughs> you know there must have been something that people were looking at, you know, that wasn't us, you know. <laughs> but, and that was basically the seeds of going into the next phase. And um, so I would say that, you know, since 2015, it's been incredible because we've been completely on top of our creativity and found ourselves in a very good place with the management and the team and the labels. And that's been very, very good. It means we've been able to wring everything out of everything and the timing shifted right around in terms of rock media suddenly that you know they're interested in bands like us again yeah i'd say the first five years and the last seven brilliant all the right. stuff all the stuff in between you know it was it was either going like that or it was a bit of a struggle
firstly, congratulations on Dopamine. Great record. Um, Thank you. And we, we got to talk a little bit more about that with um, with Luke. But um, if there's one song off the record, uh, he picked uh, Big Pink Sunshine. But if there's one song that really um, made an impact on you, what would it be off this record? Oh, Unraveling, without a doubt. Okay. Right. And why? Um, and the reason for that is purely and simply because it's probably the most restrained we've ever been. Okay. I mean, I mean your band's called Thunder. You don't expect subtle, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he is capable of writing very, very beautiful, very subtle music. But yeah. I don't think the band has always been, and I certainly haven't been capable of delivering that music. Um, it's only really as the years have gone by and we've all got slightly better at what we do that it's enabled him to raise the bar slightly with, with the tunes. Yep. And then we've stepped up in order to, to do that. And and each time we've basically built a little bit and we've all got better and the records have got better as a result. And I think Unraveling is the embodiment of that. That basically tells me that we as a group of musicians have matured to the extent that we can perform a song like that um, in such a kind of restrained and sensitive way. Ten years ago, we couldn't have done it. Mm. 30 years ago, we couldn't have even come close. Yeah. So that just tells me we're getting better. And I think that's all we want to do is just keep getting better. Raising the bar, testing ourselves. And I don't know whether he said this, but we've both said it more than once over the years, you know, we're very well aware of the fact that we've got more time behind us than we have in front. So mm. if something happens and the last record we made happens to be the last record we get to make, we want to make sure that we're completely proud of it. It's, it's quite funny. We've got about 30 seconds left, but it's quite funny. You're saying that about unraveling and, and he's basically saying the exact same reasons for Big Peak Sunshine. It, you know, in regards to, he basically described it and, and the fact that they're two very different songs for you guys, it's really interesting that you guys, it just shows that you're, you're, you're intertwined, you know? Yeah, no, I, it's like I said before, I mean, we, we, you know, we share the same opinion about a lot of stuff. I mean, he, he delivers the tunes, but I have to interpret them. And, yeah. um, and we talk about them a lot, you know, um, what we're doing, why, why these particular songs should be on a record. Because, you know, we, we work... He works very hard to deliver the tunes and we work very hard to make the best of them so that, that we make our life as difficult as possible to choose the ones that go on the record. Because if they all Love turn it. out really well, then that's a really good problem to have. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Good to see you, man. We'll see you in a couple of weeks when you're here in Sweden. It's good to see you. Good luck. Take and, it easy, and- dads. I can't sleep, it's 4 a.m. The walls are closing in once more Cold house, soulless rooms No trace of you here anymore But I'll never give up And I'll never give in Even though it's a fact I'm losing it No, I'll never give up Even though I'm unraveling Where's the man I used to be The hopes and dreams we used to share Everything I ever was was only real when you were there. Yeah, but I'll never give up, and I'll never give in, even though it's a fact. I'm losing it. 
fair. 